Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the Lord's day that we've gathered to worship. And Lord, let us see you high and lifted up, Father. Build our faith this morning. Increase our faith. Let us see you from the angle of Abraham's faith as we're studying this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And indeed, you are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels surround the throne and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Lord, give us a holy faith and a holy passion to trust you, love you, and follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Turn your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 10 and then verse 17. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For, verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, which architect and builder is God. And the way Hebrews chapter 11 is set up, if you haven't noticed it already, it's this phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's by faith, and then it lists over 15 different heroes of the faith. And in verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham. Now look at verse 17. Draw your attention to verse 17. He does it again. By faith, here it is, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. Hebrews chapter 11 gives Abraham two designations of by faith. In other words, it gives him a double portion of the faith chapter. So we here at Calvary Chapel Irmo in our verse-by-verse -verse teaching, we're going to do the same thing, guys. We're going to look today at um, Abraham's calling when he leaves the Ur of Chaldeans to head to Canaan. And then next week, which is today is Genesis chapter 12, and then next week we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22 at the great test that Abraham goes through with his son Isaac, where God says to him, go offer your son on the hill. So today the calling, next week the test. Next week's message will be called, The Lord Will Provide. But today we're looking at um, Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith and his calling. Question for you to think about this morning. What does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to follow God? If you're, if you, if you're a note taker, I, I want you to just jot down three words uh, based on what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11 concerning Abraham. What does it mean to follow God? Just jot down three statements, three words, or maybe you have them in your mind of when you hear that phrase, to, to follow the Lord, what does it mean to you? And now what we're going to do, now that you've written down your three words or your three statements, we're going to study the passage, and we're going to come back to that question at the end of my message. But who is Abraham? Abraham is the dominant figure in Hebrews chapter 11 through chapter 25. That's a lot 
He's mentioned over 282 times in the Bible, 212 times in the Old Testament, 70 times in the New Testament. We know that he, he begins his journey. We're first introduced to him. His name is Abram. And then in the book of Genesis, God changes his name to Abraham. But he's called the, uh, the father of many nations. He's, he's taught throughout church. Some of the guys, we were joking before service, and I said, hey, uh, we'll get the worship uh, team to sing, Father Abraham had many sons. How many of y'all remember that one from Children's Church? No, 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 I'm just kidding. We're not going to sing that song. But he's well known throughout the Christian faith, throughout world religions, as this dominant figure. And actually, um, Abraham's, the account of Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12, it begins the story of redemption. See, in Genesis chapter 1 through 11, you have creation, you have chaos, you have the Tower of Babel, you have Noah's flood, you have Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the world is a wreck. We've seen, we've seen the depravity of man. We've seen man's fallen nature and everything that takes place. But when you get to Hebrews, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this actually begins the story of redemption. This is where the gospel of Jesus Christ actually begins. So let's look at, um, let's, let's back up a little bit to Genesis chapter, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And we're studying chapter 12, but we're actually going to begin in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. This is, this is the passage where Father Abraham comes on the scene. Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. It says, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Melchi, the daughter of Haran, and the father of Melchi and Eschai. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law and his son Abram's wife and they went out together uh, from the Ur of Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan and they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Here in the Ur Chaldeans is where Abraham's life started. Abram was a pagan. He was a pagan living in ancient Mesopotamia. His father was Terah. His wife was Sarai. At this time, her name will also be later changed to Sarah. And at this point in history, what you need to understand when we, understand, we see that we, we know the gospel, we, we know the beautiful, glorious gospel living here in the New Testament times, but what you need to understand is at this point in history, there was no Israel. There was no Israel. There was no chosen people. But things are about to change. And this is where it all begins. This is where the nation of Israel begins. This is where, you know, God's going to uh, call Abraham to go to Canaan. 
They're going to go uh, have Abraham. It'll be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll go down to the land of Egypt for 400 years of slavery. They'll come back up. They'll establish the kingdom. Israel will be a nation, and out of Israel comes who? Jesus, the Messiah. So what we're going to look at this morning, let's look at, let's continue on, and we're looking at Abraham's salvation and his calling. Let's pick it up at Genesis chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what we have here in these three verses is what people commonly refer to as the calling of Abraham. The calling of Abraham. And there's two things taking place in these three verses that I just read. First is God's call to Abraham. God reaches down, looks down in time and space, sees Abraham there in the Ur of Chaldeans, and he's calling him to himself. He's calling him to salvation. He's calling him to repentance. He's calling Abraham, Father Abraham, to come and follow me is what God is doing. God is calling Abraham to himself. The second thing that's taken place is the Abrahamic covenant begins with verses 1 through 3. But God is calling Abraham to, to leave this pagan environment and depart the false gods of the Ur of Chaldeans. Listen to Joshua 24, 2. Joshua 24, 2 gives us some insight into what life was like for Abram when he was at the Ur of Chaldeans. Joshua 24, 2 says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, Your father lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And here it is. Joshua 24, verse 2, they served other gods. We still have today ancient ruins of the ziggurat temples. And that was the center of the worship back in ancient Mesopotamia. They worshiped Nigel, the goddess of the reeds. They worshiped Nana, the goddess of the moon. And even in the rabbinical writings, which aren't inspired, but there, there, there's some credibility to them, the rabbinical writings say that Terah, was uh, an idol maker. So this was the land, this was the environment that uh, God is calling Abraham from. God is calling Abraham to forsake the pagan gods and follow the true and living God. Did you know that the New Testament gives us the same command? It, gives, it offers us the same thing. We see throughout the, the New Testament how Jesus went about and he called his disciples to do what? Come and follow me. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18 says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them those famous words we've all heard, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And verse 18 of Mark chapter 1 makes a phenomenal statement that hopefully is said about you and I today. 
It says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. See, there was this physical thing. It was more than just a a mental ascent in your mind. It was more than just a belief in your heart. It was going out and following God by the way you live your life. It's it's called uh, taking up your cross and following Christ with all your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and here's that key phrase that I'm keying off from my whole message this morning, follow me. John said in John 10, 27, excuse me, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. What does it mean? What does it mean to follow God in 2020. Here we are 2,000 years after the fact. Jesus has died on the cross. He's rose from the grave. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's in a place today called the New Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city. So what does it mean for you and I to follow God today? This is what it means. It means that you and I leave the old life behind. We leave behind the old way of thinking, the old way of living, the sin, the the immorality, you know, the old deeds and darkness of the flesh and our old sinful ways. It means that we crucify those things. We slay them, not in our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, by surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the old way of life Uh, Come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Now let me begin this journey. Now, when a person first comes to Christ, you know we don't come perfect, and and when you come to when you come to salvation in Christ, you're not walking in an instant state of perfection. That's why the Bible calls it sanctification. It's growing. It's growing in Christ. It's becoming a disciple of Christ, and it comes through discipleship. It comes through being in the word, being in fellowship, doing what you're doing today, coming and gathering with us and getting into the word and following him with all our heart. And I believe that the Holy Spirit works through that. He works through our study of the word. He works through our gathering for fellowship. He works through our worship with with Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-led worship where we say, Lord, come down and reign in my soul, in my heart, in my mind. That's what it means, I believe, to follow Christ. Is to say, Lord, this life is no longer mine, but it's yours. I believe Abraham had a similar experience. He wasn't perfect when God God calls him. And if you study the life of Abraham, he made a lot of mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes after he first came to the Lord. And guess what? You and I do the same thing. We make mistakes along the way and we learn from those and we grow. And God has a program for those things. You know what it's called? It's called grace. It's it's, it's grace that teaches us that when we blow it, to repent, ask for forgiveness, and lead that old way of life and to teach us how to grow. So that's the first thing. God is calling Abraham to follow him. The second thing that we see here, and this is a theme that's developed throughout the whole entire Old Testament, and that is this. God is making Abraham a promise, and we call it the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what in the world 
you may be asking, is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant centers around three things. It's a promise to Abraham, the father of the Jewish, that would, be, that would become the Jewish nation, a land, a people, and a blessing. The land is Canaan, and that is where he's going to Palestine, which the scripture refers to as the promised land. Second thing is a people. If you look in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. So there's this promise of, a, of what we know now, looking back, because we've read the book, is the promise of uh, the Jewish nation of Israel. And then there's a special blessing. And this is the most important part of this passage that I want you to grab. Look at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. It says, In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Remember I talked about how Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 1 through verse 10 was chaos. It was a train wreck. And now he's saying in verse 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's making that promise to Abraham. What is the spiritual blessing of verse 3? The gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through God calling Abraham, moving him to the land of Canaan, Israel being established, and out of this nation Israel will come our Messiah, will come your Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in verses uh, 1 through 3. The Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant, and, and Abraham's call to follow him. Let's continue at verse 4. By the way, verse 4, let's just call, call it up front as we're, so we're reading it and looking at it. This is called the right response. Verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Again, this is the right response when God calls you. This is, it says, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. What is this saying? This is called obedience. This is called obedience. This is called obedience, and this, this is called answering the call. Abraham did not stay where he was at. You know what he did? He put uh, Pat in front of Charlie. And he started moving forward. It's moving forward. When God calls us to himself, he expects us to move forward in our walk with him. And moving forward. And it was true then, and it was true now. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as taking laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And to that I say, this, this is what following God is, is when we press forward in our Christian faith. Pastor David, how do you press forward in your Christian faith? By things I've already said by making sure you're spending time in the word daily. And what does that do when we read the word? It renews our mind. By asking ourselves every day, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I glorify you? How can I honor you? Who can I share the gospel with? Who can I go encourage? Who can I help today? Not in my own name, 
or, or, but in the name that's above all names, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you give them a cup of water, whether you feed them a meal, or whether you share the gospel, you let them know, hey, I do this in Christ's name. That's what moving forward with the gospel is. Just pick it up, verse 5, continuing on with Abraham. Excuse me, Abram. He hasn't been called Abraham. His name hasn't been changed yet. Verse 5 says, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah, and now the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham gets to Canaan, but guess who's there? The Canaanites. The Canaanites were descendants of Canaan, who was a descendant of Ham, who was the son of Noah. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, the Canaanites were very wicked they were very wicked and they were very evil people. They were so wicked and they were so evil that a survey of the Old Testament will tell us and show us that because Israel failed to drive them out of the promised land when they first conquered, they would become a thorn in Israel's side because of their rebellious ways, because of their wickedness. And so here is Abraham in the very beginning. He's in the land of Canaan. He's surrounded by the Canaanites who are filled with these evil practices. And the Lord says to him in verse 7, to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in this land and God said, hey, I'm going to give you this land, I'd be like, but Lord, how? How, how am I going to do this? It's just me here, my small clan, my family. I'm surrounded by all these Canaanites. What can I do to overpower these wicked and evil people? That would have been my response. How's this going to happen? But what does Abraham do? Look at verse um, 7. He's told, the Lord tells Abram, to your descendants I will give this land. And look at his response. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar. Abraham, excuse me, Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham, Abram. You know who I'm talking about. His name hasn't been changed yet. But Abram is blown away in amazement at the promise of God in this foreign land. So what does he do? He builds an altar. In the Old Testament, an altar was a, uh, it was a raised platform. It was a structure. Um, Isaac built one in Genesis 26. Jacob built one in Genesis 35. David built one in 1 Chronicles 21. And Gideon built one in uh, Judges chapter 6. They built an altar. What's up with an altar? An altar in the Old Testament is simply a place, some people see it as a place of a, a monument where God did a great thing, but I believe it was then what it is today, which is a place where you meet with the Lord. It's a place where you come to give God thanks, that you come to worship him. Building an altar that we're, that we're talking about where he says he built an altar, and the key phrase is to the Lord, is it's a place of worship. It's a place where you go to meet with God. It's a place where you encounter his presence. Where do we encounter his presence? Where do we meet with God? We meet, I believe we meet with God on Sunday mornings. 
through, through worship, you know, where we take our minds and take the things of this world and we, our, our, the cares and concerns of life and we set them aside and we focus on you, Lord God, and we say, Lord, I want to encounter you. I want to experience your power. I want to experience your glory. I want to experience your spirit. So I believe we do that at church. We also do it in our prayer closet. You know, you don't have to come to church to experience God. You can experience God in your home, in your prayer closet, in that place where you study the word, in that place where it's morning, afternoon, or evening, that place where you get your Bible out and you pray and you say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. That's an altar. That's what I believe is an altar. You know, Abraham comes to this place, Canaanite, the Canaanites are around him. I, I have a sneaking suspicion he's probably overwhelmed. Like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? So what does he do? He goes to the Lord. And you and I can do the same thing in the world that we're living in. When we get overwhelmed by the circumstances that are around us and the crazy that's going on around us, we can go to our altar. We can go to the Lord where we are at. You can do it at work. You can do it in your car. You can, you can do it in your home. Hopefully we're doing it this morning. But you go to that place and you say, Lord, I need you. I want to meet with you. Help me to take my eyes off my circumstances. As I, I think maybe Abraham might have said something like that. Help me take my eyes off the Canaanites and help me to put my eyes on you. And if, it, if once wasn't enough, uh, look at verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There, he, what does he do again? He built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. I think Abraham at this point is starting to get it. I think he's understanding his key to success, his key to faith, his key to obedience, his key to... Um, living a completely sold-out life to God. And what is the key to obedience? Building an altar. Building an altar, verse 8, and calling upon the name of the Lord. I believe this enabled Abram to take his eyes off his circumstance and to believe and trust the promise of God as he was moving forward. And again, you and I do the same thing. Abram knew without the Lord's leading, without the Lord leading him and moving him forward, it would all be worthless. And the same could be said for you and I, that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. You know, we cannot live the, we can't, you can't even live the Christian life on your own. You need the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you. You need the word of God laying the path before you in your life. And when you do that, when you build that altar, I believe that God takes you forward in life to do his will and to serve him with all your heart. You know, this place of an altar, I just kind of want to hang out here for a second. You know, this place of an altar, I want to talk about 2020 today. This is where you find your strength and encouragement. This is where you find when, when your gas tank is low and you have no energy left, this is where you find that strength and encouragement 
to continue moving forward and serving the Lord. You know, it happens with ministry. It happens with pastors. It happens with leaders. Ministry can be tough. Ministry can be challenging. And the Christian life, for all of us, can be tough and challenging. But when it gets tough, we need to go to our altar. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. And we need to seek him with all our face and let his spirit give us encouragement, give us strength to help us move forward. If you're in that place of barrenness and, and dryness and you've kind of lost your way, find your altar. Find that place, that altar, where you can get into his word, call upon his name, and let him give you the strength, the encouragement, and the faith to move forward. Let's continue on verse 9. This is, this is, this is the initial journey. This is Abram moving out. Verse 9 says, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the, the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Folks, Abraham's not perfect. Abraham's not perfect, and guess what? Neither are you. And guess what? Neither am I. You know, actually, this is a half-truth. If you look at Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, it says that they, um, I believe they had the same father, but they have a different mother. But at the end of the day, even a half-truth is a lie. And, and he blows it. So he goes from this place at Shechem and Bethel of building an altar, of receiving strength from the Lord, to he, he, he goes down, we don't know how much time elapses, from there, there was a famine in the land, so he goes down to Egypt. We don't know how much time lapses, but he goes to this place and he has a lapse of faith. He has a lapse of faith. You know, and I'm very thankful. Not that he disobeyed or, or sinned in lying about his wife, but I'm very thankful for the authenticity of Scripture. That even these great men of God in the Bible made mistakes along the way. They blew it. And God didn't squash them, but they repented and they came back to him. So I'm very thankful for that. But Abraham was not perfect. He was a man, a human being, just like you and me. He had an opportunity to trust and obey, but there was also situations in his life where he failed to obey. And that's what we see here. Then continuing on in verse 13, he says, please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep 
and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, as I was looking at this passage this week, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is I don't understand why God struck Pharaoh with a plague. Because who's, who's the one that blew it? Who's the one that sinned? It was Abram. So why did he strike Abram? Why, why did he strike Pharaoh? We, we don't know. And when the Bible doesn't give us a specific answer, you know, it's not, that, it's not important. But my, but my thoughts lead me to wonder, did something happen in Pharaoh's home? Or, or maybe was she, was she disrespected? We, we, we don't know. We don't know. But when I look at the grand scheme of things, and I look at all of Scripture, and then I look at this scenario of Sarah down in Egypt, I believe, it's my belief, that God struck Pharaoh with a plague because Sarah was part of God's plan of redemption and that God himself would see to it that nothing stood in that way of redemption. So this had more to do with the gospel that would come forth from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah than, than it was with, with Abraham. You see, man, man has a free will, okay? Men and women have a choice to make. They have a free will, but God will not allow that free will to corrupt his eternal plan. Guess who trumps? God. God trumps. And, I, and, and that's, just, that's just Pastor David's view. You can accept, you can take it or reject it, but that's my view of that passage and that story of what happened with Sarah is that God was ultimately protecting the plan of redemption. Nobody, no one can thwart God's plan. No matter how much people fight against him, no matter what, what takes place in this world, no matter what evil plans are, 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 are put together, no matter how many Bibles they decide to burn, no matter, what, no matter how hard they try to stomp out Christianity, they cannot thwart God's plan. They cannot stand in the way of what God is doing. And when someone tries to stop God's plan, specifically what we're looking at this morning, the plan of redemption, God will strike them dead. He will push them away as he did here with Pharaoh. Christ is faithful. His word is faithful. And that you and I can trust with all of our hearts. That God will have his way in the end. That's how we lay our head on our pillows at night and sleep in peace, knowing that God is ultimately in control of this entire world and your life and my life. Let's finish up verse 18. Verse 18, says, verse 18 through 20, the, the chapter closes up. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? 
Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away and with his wife and all that belonged to him. And thus we learn in the next chapter, Genesis 13, that they go back to the land of Canaan. They go back to the land of Canaan. But now what I want you to do is, as we've, as we've looked at um, Genesis chapter 12, turn back to Hebrews in your Bible. Turn back to Hebrews in our Bible. Because remember, we're journeying through the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, 9, and 10. Remember the beginning of my message, what I say? I said, give me, give me three words or three phrases that describes what it means to follow the Lord. Well, you've seen the calling of Abraham. You've seen his calling from the earth Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. So what does it mean to follow God? I want to read Hebrews 11, 8, chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 one more time, and then I'll answer that question based on this text. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want you to think about the question I opened up with. What does it mean to follow the Lord? Each week we've been looking at different aspects of what faith is on Enoch and, and, and Noah and the other guys that we've studied before them. But what does it mean to follow God when you look at the life of Abraham based on Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 and Genesis chapter 12? Number one, I got from the text. What does it mean to follow God in light of Abraham's faith? Number one, you will leave the old life behind. That is biblical faith. That is true faith. When you leave the old life behind. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. And what did he obey? He obeyed leaving the Ur of Chaldeans. Leaving the old way of life. Leaving behind the, the, the gods of Mesopotamia. It's called obedience. It's called obedience. Where we say, you know what, Lord, I'm done with the old life, and I'm embracing the new life. I'm embracing the calling. That's the first thing I see in Abraham's life, what it means to follow God, is that we leave behind the sin, we leave behind the immorality, we leave behind the old way of thinking, the old way of living, and we follow him with all of our hearts. Number two, number two, what does it mean to follow God? It means this, you will follow the Lord wherever he leads based on the text. At the very end of verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, talking about Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. I don't know about you, but that sounds scary to me. <laughs> to, to think that God would call me and I'm going to go out, but I'm not going to know where I'm going. That's what the Christian life is a lot. Uh, it's, it's a perfect way to describe the Christian life. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what God will be doing with our life a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. What plans he has for us. 
But the only thing he asks of us to do when it comes to moving us forward is this, that you step out, that you step out in faith and you follow the Lord wherever he leads. You know, I did a, did a word study in the New Testament on the phrase, um, open the door, doors open. And over five different times in the New Testament, it talks about the Lord opened a door for ministry for the Apostle Paul and for the disciples. And I think that's a legitimate prayer for us today when we're seeking what God wants us to do in our life is we pray that prayer and we say, Lord Jesus, will you open the doors that you want me to step through and will you shut the doors that you don't want me to go through? And Lord, please, 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 I ask of you, help me not to force the door open. You know, you want to go this way and... You want to knock that door down. That's not the way God operates. That's not the way I've seen the Lord operate in my life. The way the Lord operates in my life is he opens a door and he expects me to take a step of faith and walk through. But that's what it means. That's what I see in the life of Abraham is that we say, Lord, I will go wherever you lead. And that could be um, moving somewhere. That could be serving in the local church. That could be serving in children's ministry. That could be serving with students. It, it could be doing something with your neighborhood, a neighborhood Bible study. It could be being involved in bringing that godly influence into your school. It, it could be a number of things. But all it takes is saying, Lord, open that door and let me be obedient and let me walk through and step through and, and, and follow you. The third thing of what it means to follow God this one doesn't come from Hebrews chapter 11, but it does come from Genesis chapter 12. It's this. It does not mean you're perfect. And guess what? You won't be perfect. You will make mistakes along the way. But we learn from those mistakes. We grow from those mistakes. You know, when we fall off, we fall off the, uh, the wagon, we brush the dust off and we get back on. And we continue moving forward. You know, no one's perfect. You're not perfect. The mailman's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But you know who is perfect? The Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he works through us. He works through us and in us for his plans and his will. But at times, we blow it. I've made a lot of mistakes since I became a Christian. I've backslidden. I've fallen. But here's the deal. I got back up and I repented and I said Lord here I am again to leave behind that thing that was entangling me and I repented and I moved forward and I fought the good fight and I pressed forward and guess what God saw me through and he'll do the same for you so when you when you when you blow it bring it to his throne of grace Say, Lord, help me to improve in this area of my life. The fourth, the fourth and final thing I see in Abraham's life. To think that he went from the Ur of Chaldeans to Haran, actually Ur of Chaldeans up to Haran, then down to Canaan, then to Egypt, then back, is this. He was faithful and he was deeply committed to the Lord. He had taken a huge step of faith, found himself surrounded by Canaanites. 
and he does this great and mighty thing. Actually, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and then the, the, the story of redemption continues. But he was faithful, and he was deeply committed to the Lord. God wants you and I to be deeply committed and faithful to him. Not deeply committed to Pastor David or, or deeply committed to, to any person, but to be deeply committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to him being the center. And out of that relationship, out of that deep commitment, out of that faithfulness, everything else flows. At least it does in my life. It's out of that deep commitment to the Lord that I love my wife and I desire to lay my life down for her and that we build our marriage upon that. It's out of that deep commitment to the Lord that I do my very best to raise Emily and Daniel to know the Lord and to do the right thing. It's out of that deep commitment to him that I do my very best to, to govern and manage myself and the elders and the deacons to, to manage the affairs here at Calvary Chapel Irmo. But it all starts, it's not some, it's not some power trip. It's not, I'm not the head honcho. I'm not the, uh, I'm not the CEO. I'm not the corporate exec. I'm just one beggar speaking to about 70 or 80 other beggars, sharing the word with you and teaching the word with you and, 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 and being faithfully and deeply committed to Christ Jesus. And my prayer this morning as we wrap this up is that you will have that deep desire to be faithful and deeply committed to the Lord Jesus Christ because check this out. When you get that right, everything else just falls into place. It does. Everything else just falls into place. You know, when we get that deep commitment and that faithful commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, right, things start coming together in our home, in our family, in our relationships. It's that deep commitment to Christ and being faithful that, that, that causes me to be a law-abiding citizen. It causes me to do my very best in faithfulness and commitment to those around me. It all starts with that. And when you have that, everything else works its way out. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the life of Abraham. Thank you, Father, for Genesis chapter 12 and the things that we see in the life of Abraham. Lord, I pray that you will help us grow in these areas. Father, I pray those who are wrestling with the old life, I pray that they'll repent, bring it to your throne of grace, and pray for your help to, to, to leave the old life behind and to embrace you with all their hearts. Father, I pray for your leading in our life. Father, where we go on a daily basis, it all matters to you. And so, Lord, I pray for your, us being led by the Holy Spirit and being guided and directed by the Spirit in our life. Lord, let that grow and increase in our life. Father, help us to understand that no one's perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. David was not perfect. There was only one that was perfect, and that's the one we look to, and that's your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, out of all that, help us to come to a place in our life where we are faithful and deeply committed to following you.
For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.